Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 16. This can be found in your Bibles on page 225 to 226. Now faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars in heaven, and as innumerable as the grains by the seashore. All of those died in faith, without having received the promise. But from a distance, they saw and greeted them. They confessed they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are speaking they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land that they had left behind, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me this morning in the gospel reading in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 40 in page 75 of the New Testament. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may come, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, He will fasten his belt and will have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, church, this morning, I am uh, very happy to be here with with you and sharing in this passage in Scripture. 
Yet if I confess, this is one of those passages that's difficult to teach on for me. This is one of those passages when it comes up on the calendar, um, I kind of wish Doug hadn't left yet. I don't know if it's you or if it's me, but sometimes when we get to these passages about being ready, about having our lamps lit, um, I get a little bit nervous. What if, what if that's me? What if I'm not really ready? What if, like Melissa described, I miss the torchbearer running by? What would be, or what would happen to me then? And this is what we're going to address this morning. Our fears and our uncomfortable feelings about some of these difficult teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. So please join me in prayer as we enter into this text. Lord, we come before you asking for truth, asking for guidance, and asking for wisdom. Lord, remove the distractions that are hindering us from your worship now. Lord, remove the things in our heart that are not from you. Remove the hurt and the anger that we feel towards others now. As we prayed in our prayer of confession, Lord, make us clean that we might worship you with a pure heart this morning. Amen. So let's begin by looking at what's happening here in Luke chapter 12. First, we see that our Lord Jesus is in a teaching on anxiousness. He is in the middle of teaching his disciples not to worry. And in this, he says a wonderful line in verse 32. He says, fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is his good pleasure. It is not a scam. It's not a trick. It is the Lord's will to give you his kingdom. I immediately thought of, when I read this passage, those old email scams that used to be so popular, right? You get these emails that says, I'm a, you know, a millionaire who, you know, someone is keeping my money from me. If you give me $1,000, I can give you $10 million in a month or something like that. I don't know if they were popular here, but in the United States, I felt like I got one every day. There are these email scams where people promise you one thing and give you another. But here, the Lord is saying what? It is our Father's, it is God's good pleasure to give us. He gives it happily. As we spoke about last week in Colossians chapter 3, our lives are hid with Christ. So our lives here on this earth are, are, are safe, are set away, are tucked away with God. And therefore God says, because of that, you're with me. I give you my kingdom. I give you your inheritance happily. So in verses 33 and 34, we learn that we are free to do what? To sell it all, to give things away, to set our treasures in heaven rather than on this earth. And this is not because God cares about your money and God wants you to give everything away, but He wants our hearts to be hearts of service and of giving. He wants our hearts to be hearts that do not hold tightly, but that give freely. Certainly, we couldn't all sell everything we have. Um, If all of us in the church did that, we'd probably have some trouble keeping the doors open. But know that what Jesus is talking about here to his disciples is that he says, do not be afraid of finances. Do not be afraid of the troubles of tomorrow. Instead, be reminded 
We are not to be anxious. We are not to worry. But we are to focus on the kingdom that our God has gifted us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says the same thing when referencing the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. You remember this passage? I think summer in Switzerland is a great time to remember this passage when he talks about the wildflowers. And he talks about the beauty. He says the flowers of the field don't worry about what they're going to wear. They don't worry if they're going to bloom tomorrow and how pretty they will be. Yet they are more beautiful than almost anything. How much more does our Father love us? Proof that God does give us this, in fact, in His good pleasure. And then he goes on to the part that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Had Jesus stopped teaching there, we could leave with this wonderful message, couldn't we? Jesus loves us the best. Amen. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus goes on to a serious teaching to his disciples and he says this. That we must be dressed for action. Sometimes I feel like Jesus goes from zero to a hundred very quickly. He goes from this beautiful, encouraging passage to saying, hey, the Greek says essentially, gird your loins. Maybe modern day would be tighten your belt and lace up your shoes. Put your running shoes on and be ready. We must be ready for action. Why? Because though we have been given the kingdom and though we have been gifted the house, so to speak, we are servants and the master is expected. We must keep our lamps burning, have the table set. He says those servants will be considered blessed. Similar language to that which Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount again. Blessed are those, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek. Those who are ready, those servants who are prepared will be blessed. Now what does this mean? What does it mean to be prepared in this way and in this setting? Well, I think there's a number of things, but one of the things I want to mention is that when we are prepared and when we are ready for these things, that God will serve us. It says here that He will care for us, that the servant will return home and He will serve His servants. And so the first thing I want to do is mention two important things I see here in this text that seem to be opposites, maybe. You may not have read it this way, but it's how I read it. When I read it, I saw, wow, Jesus desires on the one hand for us to not be anxious, for us to be comfortable, for us to be safe in his kingdom. Yet, on the other hand, he seemingly gives an almost contradictory statement, doesn't he? He says that we also must be prepared and we must be ready. Why would he say these two things one after the other? I've talked to people before who things like this and passages like this are a major stumbling block to their faith. When they read it, they say, I don't understand. I don't understand how Jesus gives me salvation freely, but then also says that I must work for it. It doesn't make sense. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I think about this regularly. When I was a child, actually, I remember, child, teenager, I remember reading this and thinking, what if this is me? Let me bring up two points that I think may help, that help me. The first is, is that the Christian life is full of what we call 
tensions. I mentioned this last week a little bit in setting our minds on things that are in heaven rather than on earth. The Christian life is full of tensions and balancing acts where we must balance things. Jesus says that grace is free, but that how can a good tree bear bad fruit, right? We have one man like the rich young ruler who Jesus says must sell everything, and then one man like the thief on the cross who can do nothing. How does this work? It may not be a very helpful answer, but remember what the Apostle Paul calls the gospel of Jesus Christ, a mystery. We cannot understand all things within the gospel. If we could understand all the truths of our God, he probably would seek to be God, wouldn't he? I don't know about you, but I don't particularly want to worship someone who I can completely understand and define perfectly. And it's okay not to have answers for everything when it comes to these sorts of things. That's the first thing. It's okay to wrestle a little bit. And the second thing I want to say that may help a little bit more as well is that though these are confusing, I believe that each point here and each thing Jesus says proves itself to be more true. Let me explain what I mean by that. In this metaphor, the servants are are taking care of a home. They're taking care of a house. And in this metaphor, if the gift is a house and we are the servants, we are to honor the gift as an inheritance. Think of, it, think of an inheritance. Think of a cottage or a house or a cabin that your grandfather built by hand. Some of us have these sorts of things in our families. Some of us have heard of these sorts of things. Imagine your grandfather built you a cabin in the countryside. And it was a beautiful cabin that he built by hand and that it was in the family every year. And every summer, everyone would gather there for holidays. And your grandfather, before he passed away, came to you and said, this is your inheritance. Take and care for this cabin that future generations would know how wonderful it can be and that this will be a place of gathering and of love. It would not seem a chore. It would not seem that you are being tricked into caring for this home. It would be an honor. It would be a joy. It would be a privilege. And this is how I think of what Jesus is telling his disciples. Yes, he gives us the kingdom gladly, but when we see it and we see how beautiful it is and we see how wonderful it is, it is our joy to care for it. It is our joy to hold it in high esteem. And so he says we must be ready. Because what is the other side of it? Poor stewardship. All of us have heard horror stories of churches that have not reflected the glory of God. Most recently, I come from Colorado, and I'm sure many of you have heard of some of the issues with um, a big megachurch in Colorado Springs and the pastor and what they went through for the last five or six years. A pastor, a teacher of God's word who did not care for this gift, was not prepared and was acting in a way that was not honoring his inheritance. I sometimes think of the disciples in the garden on the night Jesus was betrayed. Remember, they all fell asleep. (laughs) These are the founders of our faith, and they, according to the words of Jesus, could not tarry but one hour. We all struggle with this. We all wrestle with this. I say that 
to comfort you. It's okay that there are times we are not prepared. Brothers and sisters, there will be times when we are not at our best. This is not a passage about what if Jesus comes back when we're not, you know, living a perfect life. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Remember, he is speaking with his disciples and he's not talking about being in sin when Jesus returns. He is talking about caring for the kingdom of God. He is talking about caring for the church and that this is an honor. Though it's no easy job, there is a great responsibility to be put in charge of the master's house. Think of biblical examples like Daniel. Daniel was put in charge of many things in Babylon, but still was able to hold fast and honor God. It's a great honor to do these things and to be put in charge of many things. And in his absence, we are to care for it. Think about, well, let me say this. Have you guys ever read the Old Testament genealogies, Numbers, Chronicles? Um, they're awful. I try, I mean, not awful in that sense, but I, I've recently been reading through Chronicles. And so-and-so begat so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so. It, it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. This week, I was reading Second Chronicles, and I got to another one of those chapters. And I thought to myself, how in the world, what is the purpose? How in the world can I read these sections of Scripture? And then something clicked in my head that I want to share with you that helped me understand what Jesus is talking about here. So stay with me, because this is really interesting. When we come to these passages in the Old Testament that are name after name after name, generally what do we do? We skip them. Or we kind of skim them and look for maybe a name we recognize. Or maybe we'll do an in-depth study occasionally and look at a few of these people. But most of the time it's... I thought about this. Each person listed represents what? An entire generation. And each person listed, each name listed in the Old Testament for these, what we would consider boring genealogies, each person's name listed had a family. And each family had neighbors. And each neighborhood represented a town or a city. And that city and that generation represented an entire people group whom God loved dearly at some point in history. And we have a name to link us to that. And then the next generation, and the next, and the next. And I began to think, what history? What history we have through the ages of how much God loves his people. Each one name represents thousands and thousands and thousands of people that God knew by name. According to the Psalms, knew the hairs on their head, and he loved them deeply. And then I began to think of the world today. I looked it up this morning just to see 7.4 billion people on the earth. And the scriptures say that God knows everyone by name. He knows the hairs on their head. And that he loves them deeply and intimately. And now, we stop and think what we are entrusted to. What this inheritance really is. It's not this building. It's not the churches around the world. It's the people we interact with. It's the people we see from around the world. 
whom Jesus loves and whom he died for. Stop and consider this command. That when Jesus says to be ready, when Jesus says to be ready and have your lamp burning, he is talking about serving and preparing the way. He is talking about having the kingdom here on earth that we would share his love with those so that when he does return, we have been working diligently. We have been ready. We have been preparing. And, and let me make a very clear distinction about this because sometimes I think we minimize this. I'm not talking about service to God and ministry. I'm not talking about where you volunteer at church. That's part of it. I'm not talking about just your family prayer time before bed. That's part of it. I'm talking about your interactions with people on the trams and the buses. I'm talking about your work. I'm talking about how honest you are and how forthright you are. I am talking about your marriage. I am talking about your relationship with your neighbor, especially the ones you don't like and are unfriendly to you. Too often the church has separated these things, haven't they? They've said there are those who are missionaries, there are those who are pastors and volunteers and do all the work of ministry, and then everyone else just works and kind of does whatever to help pay for those things. Sure, they may volunteer, they may, no. This other stuff is your calling from God. What you do matters. It doesn't matter if you are a Shop clerk, it doesn't matter if you are a banker. It doesn't matter if you are selling insurance. It doesn't matter if you are unemployed. If you are unemployed or retired, you have more time to serve the kingdom. You have more time to prepare and to keep the table ready for our Lord. My old mentor, who has since gone to be with the Lord, he said that when he turned 65, he was so excited to retire. And when he retired, you know what he said? His ministry got twice as busy. Because he realized, now I have all this time on my hands. I have no reason not to be discipling young men. I have no reason not to share my faith. I have no reason not to study more. He got sick. He's my favorite image of this. He got sick with terminal leukemia. And when they would come in and do the treatments on him, you know what he would do? He would say, don't worry about how I'm doing. How are you? And he would preach and evangelize to the nurses and doctors to the point where they were sick of him. But he wouldn't stop until the Lord took him home. The week before he passed away, he was still teaching. And he would stand up on stage and halfway through he'd get too weak because of the drugs and they'd bring out a stool and he'd sit and he would finish his sermon because that's what the Lord called him to do. He was serving his Lord. He was preparing the way what has the Lord called you to do? For too long, men and women, I have heard people make distinctions that pastors or that those who volunteer in Sunday school, while those are good things, are more important somehow. They're absolutely not more important. Academic work, research, it doesn't matter what it is and what you do. It is a way to prepare for the kingdom of God. The Christian life is not a hobby or a convenience. It permeates everything we do. And so my question is, are you ready? Are you living your life in a way that is preparing for the Lord? 
Or are you living a life in, in a way that is sleeping and hoping someone else will set the table? Well, it's getting late. I should go to sleep. Someone else will have the torch ready when the master comes home. The last thing I want to mention is that it's night. It's dark. Why didn't they just leave the door unlocked and go to sleep? The scriptures say here that there is an adversary. And this isn't a popular topic in church, is it? We focus on the cross and the love of God, and rightly so. But ladies and gentlemen, men and women, brothers and sisters, there's an adversary. The scriptures tell us that if the servants aren't ready and if the door is not locked, a thief will come in. A thief will come in and take what is not his. The reason this matters, the reason our calling and our mission and our work matter so much, is that there is an enemy. And that when we are not fighting for the people of this earth whom God loves, the enemy is. Let me say that again. When we are not praying, when we are not fighting for people on this earth to be Jesus Christ to them, and being the church, and caring for his church, his people, the enemy is lying to them. The enemy is deceiving them. And he is winning. He is like a thief coming to destroy the church of God. This is why everything matters. This is why Sundays and Bible study are just the tip of the iceberg. Just the beginning of your mission and your calling. We have come to believe somehow that faith is only important on Sundays. Or that faith is more important on Sundays. And I just don't think so. I think that this life should cost us something. I think that being a disciple of Jesus Christ will sometimes require staying up in the night. I think it requires work. I think it requires preparation. The reason we had the reading from the book of Hebrews was because Abraham had to wait in faith. We must have faith that our God will deliver the same way he did with Abraham. You know, I don't know when the last time you read that story was, but there's a fun little detail in there that between when Abraham had Ishmael and Isaac, God didn't speak to him for 13 years. That's recorded. It says when he was 86, he had Ishmael, dot, dot, dot. And then when he was 99, the Lord said to him, imagine that. Imagine the Lord making you a promise and saying, now go, go to work for 13 years and I'll get back to you. Who among us would have the faith to say, yeah, I'll wait on the Lord for 13 years? I struggled to wait on the Lord for a week. I, I pray a prayer request and I say, Lord, this is the earnest desire of my heart. You have four days. Sometimes we think someone else will do it. Sometimes we hope someone else will do the work. Sometimes we hope the Lord might call someone else to take the burden off of us. You know in your heart, the things God has called you to. You know immediately the burden God has put on your heart and how he wants you to serve, how he wants you to be ready. He, you know. There, you know. Let me just say this. The first thing we read, I'll finish with this. 
Do not be afraid, little flock. Let us not forget what Psalm 23 says. The Lord is our shepherd. He cares for you. And he cares for all of the people you interact with around this city and around this world. My prayer for us is that we would be servants who are prepared, who have prepared the house, who are good stewards of the inheritance we've been given, of the body of Christ, that when anyone comes in contact with us, they would see we are servants of the King and that the enemy and our adversary has not infected us with lies and disbelief. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of Scripture. And I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that he taught difficult things. I thank you that we are given the power and the wisdom through your word to be ready. That we come together as a church body to collect our inheritance, to prepare the way for you, Lord. Lord, I pray a dangerous prayer that you would search our hearts and that you would convict us of the ways we have not been ready. That you would show us the things in our lives that we must surrender, that we might be ready. Lord, we love you. It is why we are here, and it is why we are, worship, why we are worshiping you this morning. In your son's name we pray, amen.